0: Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. I'm your host, Timothy Regal. Have with me today, George Bruno. George is a individual and group coach, helping people get unstuck in life, love, business, and career. George is the creator of the Listen My Son YouTube channel, where he hosts the Daybreak Show, the home of sanity, clarity, and reason. He shares regularly on a wide range of issues, from masculinity to relationships, to, of course, beard and mustache, mustache tips, and especially pipe smoking is he's exampling for us right now. George is kind of a uh, you're kind of a jack and a master of all trades. And you know, there's you know, I think you used to be a barber and you've done counseling and teaching and radio and TV work. And I mean, there's not much that you really haven't done, but most of all, George Bruno, you're the Sultan and glad to have you on I the am. show. Thanks for coming on.
1: It's it's good to be here, Timothy. It is
0: well before we get started it's seven o'clock so i did decaf but i gotta have my coffee and i gotta have your chopsticks and we stir it using the vortex method there the we only go. true
1: way to optimize and taste your coffee at the molecular level
0: there it is trademark
1: <laughs> That's, uh, that you know it's it's so funny how i got got known for that because uh i i get up pretty early in the morning i get up at Four o'clock, and uh, it's just when everything's quiet, and that's mm-hmm. when I usually do the daybreak show. And I remember, I remember stirring the coffee with a spoon. This is like years ago, and uh it just sounds like you know you're ringing a bell when when right. everyone's sleeping, <laughs> and so I just pulled out the chopsticks out of yeah you know, I have, have chop like when you order Chinese food, yeah you get chopsticks. Yeah, you take out. so I have like a. A utensil drawer filled with chopsticks, you know. Yeah. So I would stir it and it was, you know, quiet. And someone said to me, why do you stir your coffee with chopsticks? And right off the top of my head, I said, well, I'm, I'm using the vortex method because it <laughs> optimizes the taste of my coffee at the molecular level. And they're like, and they're like, really? And I just I didn't say anything. And it became a thing to the point where this, this gal wrote me and said, "My husband loves your show, and I want I want to get him a pair of signed chopsticks." <laughs> if, if you could do that, I don't care how much it costs. I'm like, just give me your address. I'll had so I literally like signed these chopsticks and sent them and she got back and said oh my god he was just like ecstatic that's awesome and so it became a thing so so it's like really like me trolling the audience because people have been writing me now for years saying oh my gosh I tried the chopsticks and yes it really does improve the flavor and I'm like okay so (laughs) so it, it just became a thing so, like everything gets stirred with chopsticks. People are, you know, people say, uh, you know, they'll, they'll say, "Yeah, I, I went on a date the other night with a woman and used the vortex method," and just all kinds of, just it has become like this funny taking thing on a life of its own in the past five years, and it kind of has taken it's taken on a life of its own. It's funny, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. I, I'm glad to hear the story behind it. I never knew, knew, I thought it was a real thing too, honestly, you know, but um, yeah, it's kind of become uh, synonymous with you, but, you know, and and you do that on your, your YouTube channel. Um, listen, my son. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm curious why you picked the name. Listen, my son to, to describe what you do on your, your show.
1: Listen, listen, my son is a fairly recent, name change of the channel it used to just have my name mm-hmm. and i have uh, three children two boys and a girl and probably will end up with grandchildren before it's all all said and done uh my oldest son just got married about a month ago and i look at it this way i someday i'm not going to be here so listen, my son is kind of like a play on, on Proverbs, where hmm. it's where Solomon is speaking to young men and saying, you know, listen, my son, to what I have to say. You know, seek wisdom, uh, bind it around your neck, you know, let it lead you, let it guide you. And so listen, my son, is kind of like a play on Proverbs of an older man with experience teaching younger men how to live life and that's really what my channel is it's Mm. it's basically me teaching everything i know about life as it comes up even talking about my mistakes the foibles that i've had and uh how i recovered and it's basically a channel of that gives hope for people who've really blown it in life love career a whole bit Mm -hmm. and uh and it has grown at you know at a moderate pace it it, it's been it hasn't exploded it's about one hundred seventy four thousand subscribers over a like a six-year period which is fairly slow compared to all these channels that are blowing up these manosphere type channels that are blowing up Mm-hmm. And uh getting half a million and a million and two million subscribers. So people either get it or they don't. I have almost two thousand videos. If when people start working their way through my videos, they're getting little tidbits of wisdom. I call I call myself the IV drip of motivation. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, you have like your Tony Robbins type speakers right. that are just all about the change your life in 30 days you know a new you and 90 days to a new you and my message is always like well if you do this this and this by this time next year you could be different because no one's changing anything in 30 days no one's changing anything in 90 days I mean obviously you can lose weight you can get into shape in 90 days but I always tell people My frame of reference is always this time next year. Give yourself a year for everything, for everything. That way you're not setting yourself up for failure. You are not, you don't have unrealistic expectations. It may have taken you a decade or two to develop a certain undesirable behavior. It might, it might take a year to get rid of that behavior or modify it. Nothing's going to change in 30 days it's not going to happen. So it's not the sexiest solution, you know, this time next year it doesn't sound sexy. It's not as sexy as, you know, in 30 days you can right. do this or do that or be a millionaire. You know, make six figures in 90 days and you know, just buy my course and all this kind of stuff. I am old enough to know that it takes about a good year for for a real change to take place in your body in your lab work, in your mental condition, in your emotional condition. It may have taken you 20, 25 years. The average young man became the way he is because of 25 years of certain experiences. There's just no way he's going to snap his fingers, take a course, and change things in, in a short period of time. So I like to say, if you just do a little bit every day, it's kind of like that 1% rule, right? You just get, you know, I even, like I say, just lower your expectations and make it a half a percent don't even do the 1% thing. Just, just do a little bit more. It's like my, one of my slogans is just one more rep, one more rep. And I remember in the seventies, when the movie pumping iron came out and there was Ed Corny doing and Arnold doing squats. And Ed is just dying on that squat rack. He's just, and he he gets to 10, and Arnold, Arnold says, just one more, just give me one more, like that. And Ed's trying. And he's like, come on, good, good. You're not even trying. Just one more, one more. So the whole concept of one more rep is like victory happens with one more rep. That's what I believe. It doesn't, victory does not happen if you just do things the way you've always done them.
0: Right. Yeah, it's one day at a time, one battle at a time. You know, you can't lose, you know, 20 pounds before you've lost five. You know, it's it's that that small incremental progress, build momentum. Those small wins are what lead to the large, winning the small battles wins the larger war and there's kind of that old saying i think it's you you overestimate what you can do in a month but underestimate what you can do in a year and i think that's true in this case
1: I, i had told a guy recently i said what's your goal for the year and i irritate the hell out of everybody that comes within five feet of me when i say what's your big goal for the year and they're surprised when i they were very surprised when I asked him that question because no one's asking anyone that question. Not happening. So he goes, gee, hmm." he goes, I want to lose 50 pounds this year. And I said, okay, all right. I, I get it. And then I said to him, I go, how much is that per day? And he go, he's like scratching his head. And I said, you don't know, do you? I said, how do you know I said, you're going to have to lose two ounces a day. And you can do that by burning 500 more calories than you already burn. You can do that. You can lose two ounces a day. That means parking at the farthest parking spot at work. When you go food shopping, park at the farthest spot, walk an extra 50 yards, that type of thing. Wherever there's an elevator, take the stairs, that type of thing. I said, you don't have to do anything different. I go, I just told you how you can lose two ounces a day. And he goes, man, he goes, you really thought about this? And I said, and you really didn't. (laughs) And we were, we were joking around about it. And and that came out of me working with my coach, because I believe every, I was a therapist for 22 years. That's what my credentials are in. And I, and I cut hair part-time. So that that I, I'm a firm believer that every man needs a profession and a trade. That's just my mm-hmm. personal belief. Every therapist needs a therapist. And I believe every coach needs a coach to work on some things. So the, the guy that I'm working with, I had a, uh, my big goal is I want to be able to make a million dollars in a 12 month period. Now, over the course of my career and life, I've made several million dollars. I want to compress it into a 12-month period. I've never done that before. I don't want to just make more. I want to compress the time in which I do it. So he said to me, he goes, do you know how much you need to make a day? And I'm, again, scratching my head, like the guy was scratching his head when I told him or when I asked him how much, weight he needed to lose per week per day, whatever. He says, I'll tell you He goes, you need to make $3,000 a day if you want to make a million a year. And then he asked me one of the most powerful questions I've ever been asked in my life. And he said, do you have $3,000 a day habits? And that was, I, I didn't have an answer for him, which meant no. Actually, no, you know, if you don't have an answer on the tip of your tongue, that means you really don't have the answer. So that really made me start thinking about the pace in which I work, how much time I waste. I want to compact my work into a, a shorter period of time, my daily work, not just during the year, but during the day. I mean, we all know people that say. That. You know, they only work three hours a day. Uh, I work four hours a day, 12 hours a week, 20 hours a week. And I make five times more than I, you know, than I did uh, when I was working a full-time job and this kind of stuff. And and a, a lot of that started with Tim Ferriss and the four hour work week, where right. it just made us look at our habits and really concentrating our efforts and focusing. So, that question—do you have three thousand dollar a day habits? That that actually made me toss and turn for a few nights. I couldn't sleep because I kept thinking about my habits. And since then, I've really worked on my habits quite a bit. And I, I'm a like a peak performance kind of guy. I really, I want I want to give the best that I possibly can. I'm not into effort, I'm into 100% effort. And I want to be able to optimize everything. And of course, when you get older, and you face mortality, you know, you start like I'm at an age now where it's like, beyond halftime. And I have more years behind me than I do in front of me, which makes you not want to waste any time at all. So it's, it's one of these things now, I literally, I wanna have efficiency of movement in every everything that I do, everything. I, I wanna waste no effort. I don't wanna waste one calorie. So that's where I'm at with that. So I think that uh, breaking things down into a small manageable steps, You know, the joke is how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That's it. We attack our goals one bite at a time. We my coach actually, you know, helped me reverse engineer everything. You know, he says, all right, let's start at a million. Let's divide it by 12. Let's divide it by 30. And, you know, like let's get right down to how much you need to earn per hour if you want to get to that goal. And it was tedious at first, but I know exactly what I need to do. And I'm a coach, so my coach helped me be a better coach. He helped me with things that I push, like hard deadlines and accountability. Uh, This was a guy who said, I want you to write your first offer for your first info product. And uh, I guess this was in... August of last year or the year before, I forget. And he says, uh, when will you get it done? I said, I'm thinking like maybe October 1st. He started laughing at me. And I said, "What? what's the matter? And he says, I, he says did you say October 1st? I said, yeah. And this was in, in August. He says, you'll get it done in two weeks or I won't be your coach anymore. He says, I don't need your money. He says, you need me. I don't need you. You're going to get it done in two weeks or we're done working together. So in other words, I'm paying him to be an asshole for me. (laughs) I'm paying him to be tough with me. I'm paying him to give me hard deadlines and accountability. How that turned out was I got the, like a four page offer that I wrote within two or three days and I sent it to him by the end of the week. And it wasn't pat on the back or anything like that. It says, good, good. That I was it. That's... it. No big, no big rewards, right? No big rewards. He said, he said to me, if you don't do it and tell me that you did do it, he goes, the only person you're, the only person you're cheating is yourself.
0: And I think we all need that person who is willing to be an asshole to us. You know, we need yep. someone who's going to speak truth, truth to us. Is that something different that a coach can do versus a counselor or a therapist? Because, you know, I, I do coaching myself. You do coaching as well. But I don't have any, you know, I don't have any degree or or anything like that. I, I bury dead bodies for a living. You know, I, I don't have any sort of, you know, psychological uh, training. I'm just a guy who's been through it. And now I'm teaching other guys how to get through it. So why yeah. coaching over, why did you choose to start doing coaching versus your professional therapy and, and counseling? And what are things that a coach can do? And why is it better to have a coach versus having a counselor or a therapist?
1: Great question. Because number one, counselors look at the reason why people are the way they are. A coach doesn't care why you are the way you are my timeline with a client is from the day we start moving forward not the day we start going backwards i don't want to hear about the past if you want to sum up your past in an email to me and that's what i request of everybody give me your backstory what say whatever you want make it as long as you want communicate what you want but after i read it we're not talking about your past we're talking about your future i don't you understanding why you are the way you are is not going to help you get to your goal. Hmm. So let's leave that behind. I'm not a priest. I'm not your confessor. I don't, I don't need you to confess to me how you screwed up or how bad your family was. I don't know. I don't care. And I'm not trying to be cold in any way. I want to focus on the future and what can you do today to move you in the direction of your goal. That's what I work with guys.
0: A lot of the people, I think, are subconsciously looking for that older man of wisdom, that that father figure. And, and I think that's why your channel is as popular as it is, because people are looking to you as that kind of wise old man. I think that's why yeah. you're seeing like the Jordan Petersons and the people like that become so popular, yes. because yes. people don't have that in their lives, especially men don't have that in their lives why are we missing that and and what can we do about it as a society
1: well i think there is a fatherless generation and i never i never understood like when i first started when i first started the youtube channel i would get messages i get anywhere between 70 and 100 messages a day seven days a week it just doesn't stop every single day they just non stop. I can't pass I I read everything but I don't I can't get back to everybody obviously sure if people want to become a client I engage them in a different different manner but I get this you're the father that I never had and I never understood that whole thing that father that I never had stuff I have now I'm 62 years old I have 70 75 80 year old men writing me saying, You're the father that I never had. Scratch in my head. How interesting is that? So, I think what happens is there is a, a father hunger. There's a leadership vacuum in families. There's the kind of dad that just has worked his butt off 50, 60 hours a week, and he was tired when he got home and he didn't have time to listen to the kids. My dad never looked at my report card, my fa- my mother did. Yeah, my dad didn't, he was too busy doing his thing. And I think, I think there's a generation of men that are just starting to take interest in their kids. And it's been happening now for about 20 years, I'd say uh, even more in the past five to 10 years, but my dad never took interest in me and I'm not saying that in a uh, insulting kind of way. He was a busy man. He had strong calloused hands. He wasn't interested in feelings. He wasn't interested in in nutrition. He wanted dinner on the table at 5.15 PM and we did And that's how it was. And we went on a vacation once a year with a pop-up camper. And we had parties at the house and ice chests filled with ice and beer and pool parties and just your typical 60s and 70s kind of lifestyle where the dad works his ass off the mom is the domestic engineer she didn't work outside the home she managed everything from to make sure like my dad never made sure that i was doing my homework never my mother was you're not going out until you finish your homework So I'd sit at the kitchen table, do homework, that kind of thing. So dads were kind of aloof when I was growing up. They weren't as involved as many dads are today. So I think, I think with the fatherlessness, like for instance, I am divorced. I went from being a dad that tucks my kids in to seeing them every other weekend which is a weird place for a young man, young father to be. And of course, when I say this, this is like over 20 years ago, but you're tucking your kids into bed, it's bath time, you know, storybook time, this kind of stuff, or watching a movie together or American Idol to get as a family, then all of a sudden, dad moves out into an apartment and sees the kids every other weekend. So you become like an uncle. And mom's boyfriends go in and out of the house, and that really confuses the kids. And, and of course, their job is not to raise someone else's kids. So I was put in a position where I had to be the fun parent. I wasn't going to discipline my kids like I like I would if I if if the marriage was intact. So I ended up scheduling the kids for a a million different activities and doing stuff with them. Get up in the morning, we go out to breakfast and we go and feed the ducks at the pond because I saved up breadcrumbs and bread crusts all during the week. And then we're going to go here. Then we're going to go there and then we go to a soccer game and then we're going to go to a concert and we're going to go to the Christian coffee house. And then we're going to do this. And I remember one time my oldest son said, dad, can we just hang out and do nothing this weekend? And that really, like flipped a switch inside my head because my parenting was—I was trying to pack two weeks of parenting into a weekend stuff. That, stuff that I would normally have done with the kids over two weeks because I only saw the kids twice a month, which is difficult. A lot of people underestimate, uh, you know, when, when a woman loses her kids, everyone feels sorry for her. When a guy loses his kids. Eh, he wasn't that important anyways so it's kind of it's irritating but like i said this that was about you know two decades ago but the reality is this is that you try to pack all this parenting into a short period of time when all the kids want to do is dad can you make us pancakes can we play a board game you know, can we take a nap? Can we all take a nap on your bed? So it was like me and three kids all piled up on the bed, taking a nap on a Saturday afternoon versus scheduling every hour of their day for two and a half days. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that was, that was an interesting lesson for me was that sometimes they just want to be with their dad. So I would do stuff like, uh, Record on VHS tape, believe it or not. Things like American Idol and like these uh, panelist, like the the panel of judges kind of shows, like what's oh, out there yeah. now, like The Voice, American Idol, America's Got Talent, and we loved watching stuff like that. It was like that was some of the greatest years of my life, you know, because we would all be vote. I like this one. No, I like that one. This one's better, and just great family time where everyone's just like piled on the couch and just watching american idol or something like that that was always kind of fun so i had to kind of like reinvent parenting and uh it it was very difficult so i have a uh a special place in my heart for dads whose families have been torn up through divorce and that's something that i that i work pretty closely with and I also help men get out of relationships. I'm not one of the I'm not one of these save your marriage kind of guy. I am a save the man, not the marriage. Because when you save the man, the marriage stands a chance. When you try to save the marriage, it ends up being the woman getting her, her way. And so I feel that a man needs to work on himself i tell men i said you know if you break up with your wife girlfriend or whatever you need to get you back stop trying to get her back that's one of my big messages stop sending her flowers send yourself flowers Mm -hmm. and have a little respect for yourself as i tell men you know when you break up either through divorce or a breakup it's not like she went to a convent why do you want someone back who it's like It's like getting back a car that has another 5,000 miles on it. You, you know, you just, you don't want it back. I don't want it back. And sentimentalism is a trap for most men. And I tell men, keep your feelings out of it. One podcaster who actually did a student film in college on uh, masculinity, I'll, I'll try to find it. I'll send you the link. It's actually pretty funny, but he said, is it okay for a man to cry i said no and he goes when is it okay for a man to cry and i said birth and death the birth of your children and the death of somebody family friend that kind of thing until then hold your crap together just hold it together and model for your family uh strength this whole it started in the 80s this whole you know Men have a feminine side stuff. So we never right. heard that stuff before the 80s, this feminine side stuff. You know, you have to nurture the inner feminine. I'm like, get the heck out of here with this nonsense. So part of being a man is delaying your emotions, not denying your emotions. I'm not, I don't want anyone to be a stone-cold prick, but the reality is this: pre-plan your grieving time. You go through a divorce. Okay, what are you going to walk around sad for the next year and a half, two years? Take 20 minutes, beat your mattress and pillow, cry all you want, and then turn it off. Do the same the next day. If you don't do that, you will have this free-floating grief that just exists for years at a time. But pre-plan the grief, delay the emotions, learn to not live in your feelings. Feelings and sentimentalism is a trap. And men get stronger when they realize they have power over this. They don't have to be slaves to their emotions, slaves to their feelings. They don't have to give an answer right away. It's okay to say, let me think about that. It's okay to say, can I get back to you on that? It's okay to delay things like that. You don't need to have instant answers for everything one of the areas that i work with guys on and i love that
0: that phrase that you said save the man not the marriage because yes yeah like you said so often it's it's oh we, we just got to you know talk about our feelings more and there's got to be got to be more in this and i think a lot of marriages are failing because the men weren't the men they needed to be you know and 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 they weren't leading as God called them to lead and as they should be leading. And so when you go back and fix those things in those parts of the man, you save the man first, then the marriage gets healed as a result of that. And I've seen that in so many men, uh, you know, I'm a part of the fraternity of excellence and, and you've spoken um, with us a few times. Yes. I've seen that in so many guys and guys look at you. like, you have three heads when you say that. And if their marriage is family. They're like, work on you first. And then all of a sudden they see yeah. things start changing and, and, and her attitudes start yeah. changing. You, you can't change somebody else. You can only change yourself. And I think the men not doing that is why a lot of marriages have failed. In turn, why there isn't the father figures like we've been talking about. And I think that has created this other thing, which is something that you tweeted a few weeks ago that I wanted to ask you about and, and to expound on a little bit is this phrase, weak men create masculine women. So can you explain what you meant by that and and maybe how that applies to all these things we've been talking about?
1: Yeah. If you put your woman, your wife, your significant other, whatever, uh, I I prefer to say I prefer to say wife. But so many guys are shacking up. And the reality is, you know, they got their LTR, their living girlfriend. So I don't want to ignore them because. Right half the men I know are living with their woman. So I'll I'll just say woman. And when I say woman, that also means wife as well. When you put your wife in a spot where she has to be masculine, where she has to man up, and they will, women have this amazing ability to kind of pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They will not go down with the ship. But if you put her in a position where she has to kind of man up, she will end up resenting you. So what happens is, women start thinking about how weak their man is and they start looking at other men who appear to have strength they might not be strong but they appear to have more strength and of course this is where infidelity happens this is where insults happen so many of my coaching clients are married to women that just insult the daylight out of them just constantly put them down call them names guys i mean strong men big men i have i have one client who was sexually abused when he was a young man Uh, very very influential in the financial world very influential he's got one of the probably one of the best jobs i've ever heard of in my life and he was sexually abused when he was a young man and it it just came back to haunt him and every now and then he would end up like in fetal position you know cry, on the bed just crying as a married man mm. and as a father and his wife was just kind of like okay it's okay honey it's all right it's all right she was like just nursing him back to health whatever. And then one time they got into an argument and she says, I am not your mother. I am your wife. And he said that that right there, he knew his marriage ended at that moment. When a woman is forced to be a man's mother and make him accountable, then that marriage is just about done. Women will, that is the, what I call the ultimate that's kind of like the I don't know what you want to call it, the, the death blow to a marriage when a woman has to be act like your mother. Do you have your lunch, honey? Put your scarf on. It's cold out. It's how come you're not wearing a hat? You know, like this this kind of stuff. Like make sure you warm your car up before you leave. Be careful. Why are you wearing only shoes? There's, it's raining out. You need to put your boots on. This, you know, this kind of stuff. When we put our women in that role of mother, of parent, there's instant resentment. The resentment's already there, but that's the death blow to a marriage. So my work with him was to like was to show him what his mistake was. A lot of guys think well i'm just honest and open with my wife we we laugh together we cry together we pray together and my first thought is you cry together okay so what are you her girlfriend hmm. like like dude be the rock she doesn't want to be the rock and she will resent you you got to be the rock in the relationship even if you got to fake being the rock do it and that is you know in in the men's community I don't even want to say manosphere because I hate that word in the men's community we we talk about maintaining frame in the marriage and that that is done independently of the woman independently of the woman she follows along uh, even i remember zach i, re, I s- still have my notes when zach first time i ever heard zach speak he said she joins your miss she joined she needs to join your mission she is not your mission hmm. and i said wow that that's that's a powerful line right there that's powerful and that's consistent with with what i teach it's the you you have you heard of the phrase or the concept of the thousand foot tow rope. You know that? No, I don't. Picture a ship on the ocean and there's a thousand foot rope and it's towing another ship. The front ship has to do a turn. Let's say it has to change direction and do like a U-turn. Will the will the ship behind it start turning when the front ship starts turning? No, the front ship has to turn, make its way back, and then only until that thousand foot tow rope becomes taut, then the second ship will start to turn and follow the first ship, the thousand foot tow rope. So your wife might not get on board with you right away. But if you get up an hour before her, two hours before her every day, start working on your, well, we know that ragging on someone's ass about getting, hey, you're getting a little fat there. You know, you're not, well, you're getting a little chug. You know what? Get yourself to the gym. After you getting to the gym for about three months, she might start exercising. She might start walking. She might want to go to the gym. She might get up an hour earlier. She might get up before the kids to work on herself, the 1000 foot toe rope, you take the initiative to improve yourself, she will follow you make the initiative of eating better versus like, why don't we eat better condemning her grocery shopping methods? How about going shopping with her looking at labels? putting the proper stuff in the shopping cart, whatever, and and agreeing together that we're gonna we're gonna eat we're gonna eat healthy together because nagging someone never works. A nagging wife, the, you know, us guys, we just complain if if our wives nag, we hate it. Yeah. We can't stand it. Well, the wives don't like it either. So let us set the example as men. In our relationships, and the thousand foot tow rope will eventually start pulling the ship that it's towing. Yeah,
0: I think that women naturally want to follow their man, but a lot of the men aren't worthy of being followed because they're the weak men. They're the men that are looking to her where she's more like their mother than their wife. And then they wonder why she won't have sex with him you know if she sees you as a child another child that she has to take care of there goes her sexual desire for you and i think you see that in, in in a lot of marriages and once the man starts turning that around then yeah this thousand foot toe rope then she comes around and she starts starts willingly submitting to him which is a is a is a hot hot topic word in a lot of circles um And we'll follow him when he's being that man, being that leader and doing that. The problem is you see this sort of stuff so much that the man just needs to be, yeah, he should just be another one of her girlfriends where she can just, you know, they cry together and do all that. And you even really see that. And I've seen this in a lot of areas, and it really breaks my heart where I see this is the church. The modern church has really become feminized. And we talk about weak men creating masculine women. There's a lot of that within the church as well.
1: Whenever women take over leadership roles, whenever the, whenever, whenever women take over the le- leadership role that a man should take, uh, chaos happens in a church. I remember a pastor said to me once, he brought in Elizabeth Elliot to do... Uh, one of the ladies brought in Elizabeth Elliott to do the women, annual women's retreat. And he said for the next year, he was just doing nothing but marriage counseling because all these women, after this woman's retreat, they were all unhappy in their marriages. Because here's this woman telling them, Your man needs to be up at five o'clock and be on his knees praying to be a man of God. They all came back from this woman's retreat unhappy. In their marriages. That's why I, I'm all about, you know, maybe the pastor's wife needs to be doing these women's retreats or something. To bring in an unknown entity into a church can really cause some chaos. And he and and of course, marriage counseling is one thing that'll wipe a pastor right out. He doesn't want to do that pastors do not want to do marriage counseling. It's time consuming, it's emotional, it's exhausting for a leader to get caught up in that stuff. Yeah. But it happened because every woman who went on this retreat all of a sudden was unhappy in her marriage. Because this this guest speaker who ran the retreat was just talking about the ideal husband and of course there there wasn't a man in the church that measured up to that
0: you know this i i I see that in my own life because there's what you talk about with pastors and 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 pastors wives now i grew up in a pastor's home my dad was a pastor and Mm -hmm. he led his church he preached faithfully sunday every almost every sunday for 50 years And still is actually now in retirement as much as pastors ever, ever really retire. And my mother was just a part of much of the part of that ministry as he was, you know, they were, were a team Mm -hmm. with that. He was obviously the leader in that, but when it came to those family things, a lot of the marital counseling, a lot of the things like that, it was both of them involved with it. You know, they didn't just have some, you know, Beth Moore conference, which she's kind of gone off the deep end now too. You know, I think that that pastor's wife is, is a part of that ministry with her husband, but to me, not a pastor herself. And I think there's a defined role there. I believe the Bible says that pastors should just be men, you know, but that that doesn't mean that the pastor's wife doesn't have a role to the women in her church, but she's not a, a
1: leadership role. Yeah. Well, women are in leadership in the sense to other women, as in Titus, where the older women need to teach the younger women. In that, mm-hmm. in that sense, they are leaders. And I you know, for instance, I, I don't, I like, I don't work with any women. Do I, I. do not work with women. I have a, a couple female coaches that I'm friends with that I refer all fem. When a woman writes me and says, I really need help with this or with that. I'm like, great. I got a referral for you. Mm-hmm. And that usually lets me know if they're really serious about changing because a lot of times a woman will try to work her way into your good graces even if even if they are trying to be a client and to me that just spells trouble for a man right. it that has it has been the downfall of many a man so that's why i believe that older women should teach younger women and i have uh, two women that I refer people to refer women to on a regular basis, that are magnificent, magnificent. And then as far as the younger guys are concerned, I deal with nothing but men. But I don't deal with all men. For instance, I am not like when I was a therapist, I one of the things I didn't deal with was sexual abuse, because I really don't know about the dynamics of sexual abuse. And I never dealt with eating disorders. That's not one of my specialties. And there's so many therapists who will say, you know, you'll ask them, so what do you deal with? What do you work with? Well, I deal with anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, uh, self-abuse, eating disorders, sexual abuse. I'm like, wait, you do everything? Like, not even a mechanic does everything. Like, if I had a BMW, I would take it to a guy that specializes in German cars. The idea that I can help everybody with everything, I'm too old and I know better that I can't deal with everything. For instance, if if I was working with a guy who was dealing with porn addiction, I don't know a lot about porn addiction. I, I can't, I can read about it. I never, I, I don't relate to it. I just don't relate to it. Uh, in, in my 62 years, I might've watched maybe I was telling someone this today, maybe 15 to 20 pornos in 62 years. And I understand in one session, some young guys will watch it for two straight hours, you know, these five, five minute segments of two people getting it on. And I can't relate to that. I can't relate to the like for instance, the uh the concept of dopamine hits. I just to me from my era, it watching porn wasn't about dopamine. It was it was about a lusty teenage boy who wants to see naked ladies. Right. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like this obsessive, compulsive watch a bunch of five-minute pornos and then go and whack off kind of thing that that was unheard of when i heard that that's that is what so many that is what the lifestyle of a lot of people are and that things like there's 17 and 18 year olds that have erectile dysfunction i'm like what like i see that a lot yeah so if someone says to me that they have porn addiction i refer out i'm the referral king Sexual abuse, that goes out. Eating disorders, that goes out. Porn addiction, that goes out. Any women coming to me, they get referred out. So, as a coach, I have to know what my strengths are, and play to my strengths. I'm not going to wing it with someone's life. I'm not going to just, yeah, you know, let's just. Uh... What I don't want to do is like play darts in the dark and work with a guy, and hope that I hit the target, you know, hope that I hit the bullseye, hope that I can help them. I want to know, it when someone says to me, do you, I'm dealing with this, this, and this, do you think you can help me? Yes, I can, because I know what my strengths are. If it's any of those other areas, those fringy areas that I can't work with, they get referred out doesn't matter. I get paid good money to do coaching. You can't buy my competence in a certain area that I'm not competent in. Right. So I think it's, I think it's important for people to specialize. Like what you are doing is important. It's important work. Mm -hmm. I, I know, I know a woman, Dr. Karen Kellick, God, you would love her. Oh my gosh, she's an older lady. She's older than me. She she's written 120 books. Oh wow, got a Ph.D. and all kinds of credentials. She just wrote me this past week and said, I want you to have all my work. And I said, Oh, okay. She says I'm going to send you the PDF uh, for all my books. I said, Okay. No problem. And she says, there's 7,000 pages. Like, what? And she says, I want you to have it in case something happens to me. I want my work to live on. I want people to, to be helped. And I'm like, wow. You know, and she, maybe she's, I don't know if she's terminally ill. I don't know what, if she thinks that she's only, maybe she was given, you know, a short time to live. I don't know but I said, I'd be happy to help your work live on. you know. So I'm thinking, well, maybe she knows something I don't know. But I remember her telling me that her husband, who's now her ex-husband, was addicted to porn. And she said that it was, she said she felt like it was him cheating on her. I didn't. That never occurred to me. I guess some women would say, dude, dude, just get your act together, man. You know, other women would feel insanely betrayed by it. Again, this is not my area. So, right. this is your area. That's not my area. So, some of these things might be ringing a bell with you. For me, I'm just taking little pot shots here. But she said uh, she felt an incredible betrayal that, that she couldn't. That the marriage could never be restored. It was just as bad as if he was going out and banging women a few nights every week, or had a, you know several girlfriends or something. I wasn't aware of that, but listening to her talk about porn from a wife's point of view was very eye-opening for me. She'd be a great interview for you. Holy crap, she was. She'd be a, a good one. But well, again, like I said, it's not something that that's not my expertise.
0: And I'm glad you brought that up because it was something I wanted to ask you about. You had a video a few weeks or a month or so ago, um, and you used that example. I think you even used it earlier about about your car being stolen. and It didn't feel the same again um, yeah. when you got it back because someone else had had, had driven it. Um, yeah. You know, and you've talked about how once adultery has occurred, the marriage is pretty much over now generally you've talked about that and probably because basically basically you work with men um, as the woman cheating the man ends the marriage and the relationship can't be healed is that different if the man is the one who has committed the adultery because I have some firsthand experience with this. And in, 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 in my case, I was the one who committed adultery. You know, I've been very open about my promiscuous past and my porn addiction and all those types of things. But we were able to to heal and restore our marriage. So is yeah. there a difference yeah. in in in, you know, quote unquote, saving a marriage, depending on whether which side is the one that has committed the infidelity?
1: Absolutely. Because men and women are different, Our psyches are different. Everything about us is different. The way that we process promiscuity, the way that we process forgiveness, the way that we process love. I mean, I'm not going to get into like the love languages and all that kind of stuff, but the reality is this. Uh, I'll never forget in the 80s, I'll give give, this a great story here. In the 80s, when everybody was angry at their parents for something, there was all kinds of books out about you know, how your parents shamed you, or they did the, you know, just everybody's parents took a beating back in the eighties. And I, of course, I had just, I graduated from graduate school. And I, I remember getting into an argument with my father and saying something like, you know, you, you never told me you loved me. Now I don't have I don't have a, uh, an, I love you kind of dad. He's not, you know, he's not one of these love you, man, love you son. He's not, he's not that kind of guy. Mm -hmm. This is what his response was. He says, I never told you that I love you. He says, ever since you were a little boy, we went on vacation twice a year. We'd go to the fairgrounds every summer. Uh, we'd go to the beach once a year. Uh, we have pool parties, you've had sleepovers. Uh, If I recall correctly, I bought you three bikes um, in your teenage years. Like he was telling about all the stuff he did. And it really made me feel like crap at that point. Mm -hmm. Then the light bulb went off in my head. And it occurred to me, Men show their love through their actions, hmm. not through their words. So he showed me he loved me by taking us on vacation, an Easter suit every Easter. I had—I remember at five years old, I had a little suit and tie. School school clothes every year. Yeah. What do you mean I don't love you? We went on vacation every year. What do you mean I don't love you? You have, you always had new clothes. What do you mean I don't love you? I, I bought you your first three bikes. What do you mean I don't love? Like, and he really put me in my place. Really put me in my place. Dad wasn't a uh, tuck us into bed kind of guy. My mom was that, not dad. Yeah. So men and women process everything differently. Love, promiscuity, betrayal, everything, everything. So I think it is different. I don't think your wife got back a man with more miles on him. I think she got back a man who was humbled and a man who realized what he had at home and straightened his crap out. And she can be satisfied with that. There's a whole different whole different way that men and women process these things. So when women say to me, yeah, but what about men? I'm like, honey, there is no dynamic equivalent there. Sorry, the door does not swing in both directions. Doesn't swing in both directions. You know, when a woman is with 25 different men, she's receiving that energy, that life force, that sperm, that semen from a man You know, eggs are static. Sperm is alive. Sperm seek out the egg. They say at the moment of conception that there's a spark of life. It just like literally, when they've watched when they've watched sperm fertilize an egg. Literally, there's a spark. There's energy that happens. When a woman has received the energy from dozens of men, she's she's received, not only just received, but absorbed the energy. That's why women can tend to be a little bit wacky. That's why women can't pair bond after multiple sexual partners, whereas a man can disconnect mentally and in his heart and just get off with a strange woman. And not think about it. So I think we are totally different. I think um, a woman going out cheating is so different than a man going out cheating. And I'm not minimizing the man cheating at all. I'm I'm not right. not doing that, and I'm not encouraging that in any way. But I honestly believe that it's two different things, completely different things. And there's no one that can say, yeah, but what about? no there's no dynamic equivalent there it's different it's apples and oranges
0: yeah and that promiscuity part of it i think it affects people so differently and we're in such a promiscuous society right now where sexual partners are nothing you know it's it's nothing for somebody to be 25 years old, male or female, and have dozens of sexual partners. I mean, that's 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 nothing now. And I think that's had lasting, yeah. lasting yeah. damage, but it's had different effects on women versus it's had on men. And to a lot of men, they think that sleeping with as many women as possible is peak masculinity. You know, yeah. that's your, you know, you want to spread as much seed. And there's even people in the manosphere that encourage that. That, you know, you're designed to spread your seed and create as many um, children and things like that as possible, that that's kind of going back to to hunter-gatherer or whatever. But maybe explain a little bit the difference of what that promiscuity does to a man versus what it does to a woman.
1: I can speak pretty confidently about that because I was a playboy for many years back when my hair was black and my beard was black. And I was, you know, (laughs) yeah, I was (laughs) bench-pressing. 300 pounds, I was suave, I had a good body, I was, I could go into any room and work that room, I could just sweep any woman off her feet, Uh, even the married women, they were the easiest ones, because you didn't have to work really hard for them, and that was one of my favorites, and I'm ashamed to say say that, but you know what, Uh, you transform when you tell the truth, you transform when you tell the truth. And uh I wasn't it wasn't about notch count for me. Like there was that one guy that like how to bang a thousand women. I'm like, you call that an achievement? Is that like a PhD or something? I mean, you know, is that like climbing Mount Everest to me? It's yeah. just you know, I come from the generation where you didn't talk about notch count, lay count and all this weird stuff. I was just body a count, they call it now. Yeah, body count, you know. Yeah. So I was just a playboy. Wherever I went, I just always left with a woman. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Before I was married and especially after I was married. And of course, as a Christian man, I'd like to talk about the, uh, our sex drive as a gorilla. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about that. The gorilla, our sex drive is like a gorilla driving a car, it's just total chaos. Just absolute chaos. It's just gas, brake steering, bump. It's like demolition derby. And when you're all hormones, and I'm, you know, like I was joking around with my my dad's 86 years old. And I I remember just joking around with my dad. He was about 75. And I'm like, ah, what do you know about all this? What do you know about any of this stuff? And he says, like, Look, he goes, I'm 75 and I could still crack walnuts. And that was his. His lingo from his yeah. generation, cracking walnuts I, it made me laugh I, because I, I don't hear too many people saying about cracking walnuts. I remember I grew up with a dad who was a womanizer. I grew up with a dad that had girlfriends, you know, while he was, you know, married to my mom. I, I grew up with a guy who was charming, had a great smile. He was just a social, a, just a social creature, funny Women loved it, just loved him. Just he, and he worked it. Let me put it that way. So that's what I grew up knowing. So as soon as I could learn how to be with a woman, I was with women from a very, very young age. I wanted to be a priest right up until I was about 13 years old. Hmm. And then puberty hit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know about this priesthood thing. And then, of course, I joke around and say, well, and then 60 hit. And I'm thinking, you know, that priesthood thing sounds pretty good right about now. <laughs> but for, for all those years, the gorilla was driving the car. And the older you get, and the more mature you get, and the less sex drive you have. Now, believe me, I still have a, a very strong sex drive. I'm still able and... You know, I'm not a, I'm not a TRT guy. I talked to my endocrinologist and he, he said to me, uh, do you have problems getting it up? I'm like, no, do you have problems keeping it up? I said, no. He says, how's your energy when you wake up in the morning? I said, fantastic. He says, can you run? I'm like, yeah. I said, I can still do like a seven minute mile. He says, are you strong? I said, yeah, I can still bench press 250. And he says, you don't need TRT said okay he oh how is your mood I, my mood's always great i mean always always in a good mood he says all right he says you don't have any of the symptoms he says i don't i don't treat numbers i treat symptoms because all these guys are like you need to have 900 or 12 9 to 1200 i'm like shit that like i can't imagine that i don't i don't know what i would be like if i had like a 900 testosterone level it's. I have a, a testosterone level that's normal for my age. It has gone down. They say after 40, you lose about 1% a year of your T levels. And I view it as the gorilla going from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. And then as you get a little bit older, the gorilla goes into the back seat, where he has no control over you driving the vehicle. And then eventually the gorilla's out outside and you see him in the rearview mirror as you're driving away. And like, I, like, I don't want to, I don't want to say I hope I die while I'm having sex, but what a cool way to go, you know, to just like complete the act with my wife, whoever that will be, and then just go to sleep.
2: finish finish.
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so i like i like talking about the gorilla and most of my audience knows what i mean when i talk about the gorilla yeah and it's uh literally i could go any and you know like i'll never forget the first time i heard there was a course on how to pick up women how to get women how to have unlimited women i'm like who the hell would want to do that it's hard enough to handle one number one number two is like that's a thing like men have problems getting women like what like really and i guess there is a generation or two of men that just don't get it i can still go to any anywhere anywhere and navigate my way through the room make eye contact smile tell some jokes be charming be funny be a gentleman, get laid. Yeah. Now, I lived like that for the longest time, decades. And the issue with that is, I st- it would just it just got to be a pain in the neck. I was tired of changing the sheets of my bed. To be honest, I was tired of pulling the blonde hair girl's hair out of my hairbrush so that the brown hair girl doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. And then women. I, to this day, to this day, I still have a top drawer in my nightstand that has maybe 20 pairs of earrings in it. You know, like before a guy, before you're bedding a woman down or or like you're just getting ready to, you know, just bang your headboard against the wall for about a half hour. You know, women always like taking their earrings off and they put it on the nightstand. And then they conveniently forget the earrings conveniently so what happens is i got all these earrings in my nightstand i'm like shit i'm trying to think which one belonged to which girl and i still to this day i still have i still have multiple pairs of earrings and jewelry in the top drawer of my nightstand to this day and women do that they leave little clues behind they leave underwear hanging on a doorknob where you can't see it. So that by the time the next girl comes over, she comes out of the bathroom going, what's this? What is this? This was on the back of the door, back of the bathroom door. I'm like, oh, um, you know, and then you're like doing, scurrying around telling more lies, yeah. uh, you know, or like my, I have a daughter who who's a blonde hair girl. So for the longest time, I was, oh, that's my daughter's. That's my daughter's hair. You know, that that type of thing. Uh, or what? Oh, y- you wear lipstick now? I'm like, that's my daughter's. So she must have left it here. I had her. I had the kids last weekend, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just like one lie to cover a lie to cover a lie to cover a lie. And I was betting down. You know, a lot of women. And I'm not one of these bragging guys. I'm not one of these how to bang a thousand women kind of guys. I'm not, that's not where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a point of shame because I'm embarrassed that I didn't have one woman and stay with her for my whole life. And to me, it's a point of embarrassment and shame. And it's it's not a, a bragging point for me. It's not, it's not a trophy for me. It's not a medal on my chest. It's something that showed deep insecurity. Because I was incompetent or not accomplished in one area, but man, I could fuck like a damn monkey. You know, and I'm just keeping it real with us right now. So that's where I was coming from. And it just got to be a pain in the neck. And that's why I tell guys all the time, like if you're out there dating and a girl flakes on you, and they're gonna about between 60 and 70 percent, between six and seven out of ten women will flake on you somehow, some way in your dating life as a as a and that doesn't change as you get older. That doesn't change at all. So the problem is this is that a chick flakes on you for friday night i can't make it my brother's coming into town which really means that she just got a better offer Mm -hmm. and so what was i doing swiping for love and i stopped doing that many years ago and i thought to myself you know because there was the whole theory of spinning plates you got to have got to have multiple women, right? Otherwise you'll get one itis and you get obsessed and all this nonsense, which there is some truth to that. And I would say it's okay to spin plates. On li- it's, it's okay to spin plates as long as you are one of those plates. So if a chick flakes on you, it's like, woohoo. All right. I get to stay home tonight, read a book, have a cigar, make a cocktail, get a good night's sleep, able to get up early the next day, not have to do the walk of shame out of some woman's house or apartment the next day. It's like, I'm a plate. I'm a plate. I care about me. I care about me. So, uh, Roosh, who I don't know if you know who Roosh is, Roosh wrote a uh, probably in 2012, wrote a an essay called i pray she flakes because he was so sexually addicted that it just got to the point where they all look the same they all look the same and he was like wait a minute i'm just like dating women because it's a habit now it's not even an addiction it's just a habit and i don't want to go through all that bullshit of having to like make my bed or you know spend Ridiculous amounts of money trying to impress a woman, he would say, I hope she flakes on me so I can just hang out, watch Netflix, hang out and do nothing and enjoy myself and get a good night's sleep. That's exactly how I feel. Make sure that you are valued and that you're not just expending yourself. You're not just a sperm donor in some woman's life. You're not just a pleasure creator in a woman's life. And I don't believe women are victims either. Women are willing accomplices in all of this stuff as well. And I literally, literally love spending time by myself. Love it. Love it. And because of that, women are still kicking down my door in my 60s. Still. And guess what? The gorilla is in the back seat, I don't have to say yes. I don't, I'm not compelled to have a, a woman come into my house and put her hair in my hairbrush and her panties on the back of the bathroom door and leave earrings on the nightstand. That stuff hasn't happened in years now. And man, it feels good. And I wish I had this control in my life when I was a younger man. Some people say uh, about like when it comes to porn addiction, I don't understand porn addiction, but I understand what sex addiction is like because I didn't need porn. I had breasts in front of me whenever I wanted them. I could have a girl come over and get on her back anytime I wanted. It was It's not an issue. I never had to work for it ever. If you are a relatively good-looking guy, charming, funny, social, it they just line up for you. Yeah. But don't feel special. That's the deception that us guys get. We, It's very deceptive. We think it's because we're so special. The reality is, if she's coming to my house and getting on her back for me that easy, she could easily be doing that with someone else. So what makes me think I'm so special and so charming and such a Don Juan? You know, it's no big deal to, to land a prostitute. And and I'm not calling women prostitutes, but the reality is this. It's not a big feat to get a woman into bed. It's nothing to high five any, anyone about. Because I know there's a guy, Alpha Male Strategies on, on YouTube. He's funny. He makes me laugh. He says, I never kiss a woman on a first date because you never know where that mouth was earlier in the day. I mean, that's funny as heck. <laughs> that is funny as heck. He says, if I meet her in the morning for breakfast, that's a different story. He says, but if I meet up with a," he says, because you never know. He goes, women will go on three dates in one day and you might be the third one. And I'm like, gee, he's got a point there
0: i think there's a parallel to be drawn to what we talked about earlier about save the marriage save save the man save the marriage sorry and with what you just mentioned as the man being one of the plates being spun in that it's focusing on on you first and you have to be okay with you first and that becomes attractive to a woman and then that makes when you do have a lasting relationship or a marriage makes that much stronger when you focused on you first and get fix the man, whether you're single or married, I think there's a parallel there.
1: There's a popular phrase amongst certain communities of men. And I embody this, honey, I love you. I love you. But I love me just a little bit more. And uh, the gal right now that I that I think I'm gonna end up marrying when when it comes right down to it. I have a woman in my life that I think she's gonna be my wife. She loves that about me. She loves the fact that I'm not not throwing myself down on the train tracks for her. She loves the fact that I love myself, not in a selfish, cocky, weird, arrogant, self-centered kind of way, but I give a shit about myself. She loves that. She likes a man. I've said this for years. A woman doesn't care how much you go to the gym. She cares that you go to the gym. A woman doesn't care how much you bench press. She just loves the fact that you're lifting, taking care of yourself. Women love a man that takes care of themselves. Women of the streets, women the kind of women we don't want are the ones that want that that want men to sacrifice for them and lay their lives down and be like the Las Vegas shooting incident where at the country music concert, men were throwing their themselves over their women and sacrificing their lives. And some women will say, Oh, that is so romantic. I'm like that I'm running, man. What are you kidding me? When I hear gunshots, I'm out of here, honey, you come with me or, you," you know, Or or not, but I ain't covering you with my body. Sorry, that ain't happening. They wouldn't be doing that in Philly. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. That's not going to happen, exactly. But yeah, and this is a
0: is is a great segue that (laughs) this it's a weird transition, but it's a great segue because I mean I could talk to you about these things for for hours and hours and hours, but it'd be a shame if I didn't have you on my podcast. If I had you on my podcast. And didn't talk about beards so (laughs) yeah yeah you say you know women love a man that takes care of himself and there's multiple levels to that obviously a man that cares for himself physically and that that cares for his own health and well-being and that he's a good leader and a good man and and a good provider and all those things but that also comes down to grooming and and caring for himself in that way too and a lot of people think that that is vain. And I get that a lot, you know, because I always have my hair put together very nice. You know, I have a, a, I think a pretty darn good beard. Um, It's been bigger. I keep it short, uh, shorter than I used to. But, you know, people see that as as a bad thing, as vanity, as that you're you're stuck up or full of yourself. But I don't believe that it is. I believe that shows that I care about myself and that I, if I maintain and care for my grooming and and that i'm well put together and present myself in that certain way that i care about other things as well so you know most men don't most men see that as honestly they see that as as being gay you know the whole metrosexual thing from years ago the queer eye for the straight guy yeah if you cared about yeah. your hair your beard you were instantly gay and right. i think that's right. what's happened is now men they don't you know they think real men it, a friend of our common uh Friend of ours that from Twitter and other thing, Tanner Guzzi has that saying, you know, real men don't care how they look. You know, that's what people yeah. say, but but real men do yeah. care how they look. So so why is that important? Why why is it so important for men to take care of themselves in the grooming, hair, beard, you know, those that sort of sphere as well.
1: Yeah, I think uh, because we're a visual culture, number one. Uh, beards are natural you know, women say I can do anything a man can do. I'm like, really, can you grow a beard? <laughs> That's, can you grow a beard? Of course not. Uh, I've had facial hair since I was 15 years old when it was patchy fuzz. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I thought my shit didn't stink. Cause I was the first one in, in like just barely a little mustache kind of thing going on. And, uh, at different stages of beard growth, I attracted different women. Like when I had a big beard, like I'm talking like down to my belt, white women hated it. They're like, Ugh. yuck." black women love the beard. I don't know what it is, but black women love the bigger beard. I mean, to the point where I was walking through the mall and, uh, a black woman just walks right in front of me, comes right in front of me. And she says, what's up, daddy? Like that. And I joke around and I say, it's a good thing I was born in the sixties. Otherwise I wouldn't know how to answer that question. My answer was you mama, you're what's up like that. (laughs) And she just is like, you know? So that's back when, when, uh, when a man called a woman, mama like all the songs in the 60s, all the rock and roll songs, in the 60s and 70s referred to women as mama. Yeah. It's kind of funny. But the reality is, with, with different levels of beard length, I attract different things. I have a different different impact where I go. Uh, I I'll never forget when I had the big beard. I got a new neighbor about five years ago, two houses down. I'm out shoveling the driveway here in the winter times like February. And I had a hood on, like this. And it was maybe 10 o'clock at night. And the beard was coming out like I mean, it I looked like a like either a monk or Gandalf or something like that. Okay. <laughs> and it was it, it was hilarious. This guy comes, he's a brand new neighbor, and I had this big white beard. And he says, Oh, let me help you with that. And he comes over and helps me shovel the rest of the driveway. He, the guy's older than me, okay? He's like 70. He thought maybe I was like 80 or 90 or something <laughs> like that. Because when your hair turns white, it just makes you look older. That, that's yeah, the reality. Sure. It just makes you look older. Uh, when I grew the beard, people open up doors for me. Like when my hair turned white, oh, let me get that for you, sir. I'm like, okay. You're like, whatever but my my philosophy is if you're gonna have something, just keep it groomed, keep it clean, keep it looking good. Yeah. doesn't matter if it's long, medium, short, whatever. keep it tight, keep it sharp. uh there's nothing gay or metro about it. it's uh, i I like to say that uh, I, I've been known to to tell women, look for a man with a beard because. And they, they would say, why? And I go, because when you see a guy that's got a big beard, there's a man who's got patience. He, did, he didn't grow that overnight. Took a lot right. of patience. And between day number one and what he's at now, he probably wanted to shave that damn thing off 10 times. But he just, you know, said, okay, I'm just going to put the razor down. I'm not going to, you know, that's a patient man who's got a beard. Uh, when I see a man who's got a good A good beard i think there's a man who's detail oriented uh i had a i had a client once you know because i cut hair part-time and i had a client who was a uh the president of a bank and he had a, a pretty pretty big beard and i kept his hair trimmed nice his beard shaped perfectly and we had a talk and he said uh i always doubted if I should have a beard while being a bank manager, because usually you think of people in the finance world and bankers as being clean cut and such. And I said, think about this, I go, you are impeccably groomed, you're a detail oriented man. When people see you, they're automatically going to think he's going to be detail oriented with my money, with my investments, Hmm. with my funds, that type of thing, how you treat yourself, is how you're going to treat everything in your life when you care for yourself that communicates the message that you're detail-oriented that communicates the message that you're that you care about things you're not just a a slob you're not just rolling the dice and letting the hair grow and and go all over the place so we use beard oil we use beard balm we have 20 different pairs of clippers and and mirrors and, and different yeah. things to keep ourselves well-groomed. And, uh, and it's harder when your hair turns white. I'll tell you that. I mean, when you're eating ribs or hot wings or something like that, <laughs> believe it's it just, it's a, it's a wreck. It's an absolute wreck. I'm so, starting to
0: get some grays in here. You can't really see it on here,
1: but they're, they're, they're coming. I'll, I'll catch up. Yeah. eventually. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what happens is you just end up, uh, well, everything you eat, can be seen on, on a white beard. So Mm. I literally, I'm just constantly just wiping all the time and just always just, you know, after every bite, no matter what, no matter what I'm eating, every bite, I'm just always just a quick little, you know.
0: And, and what you say about how people perceive you when you have a, have a beard and are well cared for and well-groomed when, and that's the reason I first grew a beard was when i if i'm clean shaven i i'm 36 i look like i'm 12 you know i just have one of those baby faces and so when i was in my early 20s getting started in the in the funeral business you know it gave me a little bit of people treated me with more respect people yeah. you know had more confidence in me you know if yes. if you know mom dies and and some kid shows up at your house looking like you know he just rolled out of bed at 13 years old or something you know that's yeah. not going to inspire a lot of confidence in them but if this guy right. shows up at three in the morning in a suit and tie with his hair well done and his beard giving him you know confidence and showing that he's well put together it gives him a very different impression of that man
1: 100 i mean people judge us by two things how we speak and how we look you know i i like to say speak well earn more dress well earn more and present well earn more that's just and when i say present uh for instance in the uh when i was talking to the foe gang you were there uh, yeah you know, a month yeah. whatever it was how yeah. to work a room how to network and stuff that's that's the man that gets whatever he wants in life sure the guy that can work the room the guy that's not afraid to ask for the sale when you are the guy with the beard, wherever I go, I was, you know, when I had a bigger beard, I used to wear like a bow tie and a vest. And if I went somewhere, people would say, Oh yeah, the guy with the beard, the guy with the beard, the guy with the bow tie. Yeah. It, It distinguishes you from everybody else. So it was a, uh, marketing thing for me and of course being in the hair industry. I'm one of these guys that says if you're going to do something just go to the top. Just be the best whatever you do. I went in the hair industry. Uh my mother and father both cut hair. I grew up in that world. I know it like the back of my hand. My dad was a full-time barber and then became an engineer. Hence, we have a perfect a profession and a trade. It's what I had, profession and a trade. And I thought if I'm going to do anything in the hair industry, I am going to be the best and everyone's going to know me and people are going to travel all over the country and from all over the world to come sit in my chair. And that's what I accomplished. People know me wherever I go. It doesn't matter where I go in the world. It doesn't matter what, I could be on some alley in the Caribbean and someone's going to say, Bruno, it happens. People say to me, how, how, do you go anywhere and people know who you are? I said, that's not an accident. I worked really hard at getting people to know who I am and what I do. Period. For instance, I've had people come from 28 States and eight countries to come sit in my chair. Wow. That's just something that that's, I wish that I had a map of the United States and could put a push pin in every, you know, from where everyone came from. That map would oh, be yeah. filled. Yeah, would be with great. I, I should have done that right from the start. But I got guys that come in twice a year from California to get a haircut and a beard trim. They fly in. Wow. They take an Uber to where I work, get their hair cut. They get the Uber back to the airport and fly back to California. The people that I work with say, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Uh, Like, like we've never seen anything like this. It's not an accident. I worked my ass off getting to that point where I don't even have to introduce myself. You know, they say hustle and grind where you no longer have to introduce yourself.
0: Right. Where you just needs no introduction.
1: That. And I think that's what every man needs to do. And I'm still going. I I am not slowing down. I am not slowing down. There's nothing slow about me. I still walk fast. I still talk fast. I still have a shit ton of energy. I still attract women. Not that that's like, see, see, that's the old playboy in me that's that's coming out. I say I still attract women like much younger than me, half my age. That doesn't mean anything. That really doesn't mean anything so let me just take that back but i will say that like my dad who's 86 years old can still make a cocktail waitress blush Hmm. like when my dad when my dad uh you know when she takes the order we're in a restaurant and she'll take the order and she's walking away and he'll say oh darling i forgot something and she goes yeah yeah. yeah, like a little smile and her eyes are all sparkling to my dad, who just called her darling. I mean, no one calls anybody darling anymore. Right. But he's old school Don Juan. Yeah. And he still has it at his age. And I was raised around that. So for me, that was kind of like the. Uh, the mark of manhood that 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 was my role model. I did not have a, a role model of chastity. I had a role, a father who was chaste. I had a role model of a guy that was chaste and tail constantly. And that's what I grew up with. My my brothers, we all look, look at each other and say, there's actually courses on how to get women. We're like, what? we are like scratching our head. Like, what the? Like, for real? So I think. I like I have this I have this this philosophy like live till you die like I I, like I'll sleep when I'm dead that's that's my attitude I what I don't want to do is just peter out you know I I don't want to just fade away into nothing I want to live and then die that's how I want to do it and I think that's how we're meant to live before we wrap up here, George,
0: I give everybody at the end of my uh, end of my shows an opportunity to speak directly to my audience. So I always say, imagine a guy who's sitting out there listening to this. You know he's a guy he's a he's a young man. Uh, maybe he's married, maybe he's not, but he's he's trying to navigate this world that is just throwing every sort of shit storm at impossible and trying to be the best man, the best husband, the best father, the best leader he can. I'm going to give you the floor and and let you speak. What would you say to to that man?
1: 2023 is the year that you get unstuck. You're stuck somewhere in your life, somewhere. There's somewhere where you do a little bit better. Jordan Peterson talks about the statue of David It speaks to us. When we look at the statue of David, it says, you can be better. And we need to be the kind of man that other people look at. And just our presence alone says, you can be better. You can do better. But not in a condemning kind of way, but more in an inspirational kind of way. When I see the statue of David, I want to work out. I don't get depressed. I want to work out. When I look at any of like Michelangelo's paintings, I want to go I want to go to the gym. They inspire me. So be a man that inspires people, not condemns people. And every man can be a king in his domain. Not every guy is going to be a bodybuilder or a an Olympic runner or a scholar or write books or have a harem. Or whatever, you know, be a multi-millionaire. Not everyone's going to be Grant Cardone and Gary V. Be the best in your domain. Be the master of your domain, and that's all is expect. That's all that is expected of you. And it's it's so much more manageable when you view it that way. Just be the king of your domain.
0: Well, George, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been been an awesome conversation. I've enjoyed it very much. I could sit and talk to you for hours, and and you know we're not that far apart, so sometimes we'll have to get together and and have Absolutely. some uh, chopstick stirred coffee together. And yeah. um, but where can people go to learn more about you and what you do?
1: Basic, the best place to find out about me is uh, there's three social media sites that I like. That is YouTube the Listen My Son YouTube channel, the George Bruno Twitter account, and the George A. Bruno Instagram account, which is just kind of like the visual version of my Twitter. Again, George, thanks for coming on the show.
0: I really appreciate it. This, this was, was awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I
2: appreciate it. This has been an episode of the Into the Wilderness podcast. This is Timothy Regal. Thank you for listening. For additional content, and to learn more about Into the Wilderness, visit www.IntoTheWildernessBlog.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and all other social media, at Timothy Regal, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y-R-E-I-G-L-E. If you're like me and many other men, you have struggled with porn. I was addicted for over 15 years and thought I would never break free. But through accountability, hard work, and never giving up, I found freedom from porn and sex addiction. If you're fighting the same battle, know there is hope. You can defeat this, but you cannot do it alone. That's why I offer one-on-one coaching to walk beside you in your battle. I'll provide personal guidance, support, and encouragement. And most importantly, accountability to keep you on track and help you reach your goals. So if you're ready to finally quit porn for good, if you're ready to put in the hard work, and if you're ready to finally take control of your life back, click on the link in the show notes to go to www.IntoTheWildernessBlog.com or DM me on Twitter or other social media to get started in your path to freedom today.